Hey, Christ community, uh, glad all of you are, are here uh, at this service. Greetings to our traditions venue and um, our friends in LaSalle and all of the, those of you who are engaging and watching online uh, through our app or website. Man, we're just glad all of you are joining us. So we are in the second week of a five-week series entitled Still, Quieting the Noise Within. In this series, we're talking about a huge need in our lives, and, and that is the need for stillness of soul. Another Bible word um, to describe what we're talking about is the word shalom. Shalom, which is a great word. It's often translated peace, but it, it means so much more than that. Shalom describes this state of being where we live out of this place of wholeness, this whole-bodied place of peacefulness, no matter what is going on around us. I mean, doesn't that sound amazing, right? I mean, it, it sounds almost, it almost sounds too good to be true. I mean, if I were to ask you to share a word or two to just describe your inner world this past week, what your inner world has felt like this past week, what words would you use? I'm guessing many of us would use words like chaotic, or noisy, or anxious, overwhelmed, fragmented, hurry. I mean, right, that, that's our reality. So why is this? Why are we in this situation? What, what, what is it that's causing our inner world to be in such chaos? Well, there, there are a couple of factors that are contributing to this reality, a couple in particular. One is busyness, and the other is distraction. And in fact, our reality is we really bounce between those two things. We bounce between being overly busy, overly committed, running from here, one thing to another, right? And then when we have a few moments free, we look for something to immediately distract us. Binge watching on Netflix or checking Instagram on our phone or, or whatever, Right? We bounce between those two. Most people, again, you can read the stats, most people look at their phones on average 58 times a day and spend four and a half hours using it. And that's by design. See, as I mentioned last week, the primary goal of app developers when it comes to phones and all that, the primary goal of app developers is to get you and me to not only choose their app, but once we choose it, to actually keep using it to stay on it as long as possible because that's more money for them. Their goal is to create a bunch of addicts. And that's exactly what they've done. Now you may think, oh, you're way over the top using that language. Let me just read the standard definition of addiction. And I want you to listen to this definition in light of the smartphone, cell phone. Addiction, standard definition, is the relentless pull to a substance or an activity that becomes so compulsive, it ultimately interferes with everyday life. According to that definition, most all of us are addicted to our phones. We feel this compulsion to look at our phones every few minutes. And whether we like it or not, this is interfering with our everyday lives. I mean, you can't 
you can't do something, anything for four and a half hours of your waking hours, okay? So that's maybe 25% of our time. You can't, we can't do anything for four and a half hours without it impacting in some way our work, our, our ability to focus, our relationships, our marriage. I mean, how many times the proverbial, you know, we all know this, the, the, the picture we see or whatever, how many times do we, we're in a restaurant and we see the family of four or whatever, they're eating out and everyone is on their phone. That's just like a picture of what's going on in our society. If you don't think you're addicted to your phone, that is awesome. Turn it off for 24 hours and then let me know how you're doing, okay? Um, see what happens. In his book, Digital Minimalism, Cal Newport writes, the urge to check Twitter becomes a nervous twitch that shatters uninterrupted time into shards too small to support the presence necessary for an intentional life. This is not a religious guy. This is just a secular, secular guy making an observation. But do you hear what he's saying? Our urge to keep checking our phones is like a nervous twitch that hinders our ability to truly live now, one would, this is the irony, one would think that because of all the technology, all the apps we have on our phone, the calendar apps and to-do, all those things, you know, and we have dishwashers and microwaves, one would think that we would actually, because of all this technology, we would have more time on our hands, right? That would be the natural conclusion, that, that, that we would have more time on our hands, but we don't. All of this technology has made it feel like the world is actually moving faster, our lives have actually sped up accordingly. We fill and overfill our schedule and our kids' schedules. And then we wonder why we feel so stressed and why we feel so exhausted and why our connection to God seems so distant. A recent study of 20,000 Christians revealed, um, they were studying Christians in America. They concluded that the major barrier to a vibrant life with God is busyness. The major barrier to a vibrant life with God is busyness. 20,000 Christians in America. One counselor sort of summarized it very well. This counselor said, people are just too busy to live emotionally healthy, spiritually rich, and vibrant lives. <laughs> They're just too busy to live healthy lives, spiritually healthy lives. Ronald Rollheiser, who's a Catholic theologian, he writes, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Then he says, pathological busyness, distraction and restlessness are major blocks in our spiritual lives today. See, the way we're living is actually toxic to our souls. It's toxic to our souls. The distractions and the pace of life are causing us to disconnect from our souls, from that part of us that, that feels and dreams and creates and connects with God. And we're left with an inner world of constant noise and chaos. But here's the good news. God invites us into a different way of living, a way in which even in the midst of all the external busyness and, and chaos, our souls are actually restored. Our souls are actually restored. 
So that's really the focus of this five-week series, to help all of us experience the stillness and the shalom of, of soul that God designed for us to experience. Okay, but, but here's what we've got to embrace. I'm going I'm to repeat this until you're sick of it or whatever, but here's what we've got to embrace. These kinds of changes don't simply happen from hearing a sermon. They don't just happen from hearing even all five of these sermons. They don't happen from just hearing messages or from gathering more information or reading books. No, we, we, we got where we are right now because of lifestyle choices we have been making for a very long time. Habits that have become a natural part of our way of living. So the only way to experience change when we've been practicing these things for so long, the only way to experience real change is by practicing new ways of living. We're talking about spiritual practices that help us reconnect with our soul. Time-tested practices for centuries. Okay, so who can teach us these practices? Well, we are followers of a rabbi named Jesus who lived in this place of soul shalom. The word rabbi is simply a Jewish word for teacher. And if you were, back in Jesus' day, if you were following a rabbi, the whole purpose of following a rabbi was to become like that rabbi. And the way you became like that rabbi was you apprenticed under that rabbi. So you, you apprenticed so that you practiced what that rabbi was talking about and doing, you practiced under them, you apprenticed under that person so that you would become like that person. So we are apprentices of Jesus. We're not just believers in Jesus. Yeah, we are way more than that. We are apprentices. And in his life, we see a particular practice that enabled him to quiet the noise within and experience wholeness of soul, and he invites us to embrace this practice as well. So if you have your Bible, Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 16. That's where we're going to focus, but actually I want us to back up one verse so we understand the context of verse 16. Look at verse 15 of Luke 5. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and, be, and to be healed of their sicknesses. Okay, so Jesus' popularity is growing. He can't go anywhere without attracting a crowd of people who want to hear him and they want to be healed of their diseases. Wherever he went, crowds of people were there wanting something from him. Some of you feel this exact same thing at work or at home, right? Whether it's little people or big people, there are always people wanting something from you, right? So how did Jesus handle that? Verse 16. In fact, let's read this out loud together. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and pray. There is so much in this verse. This, notice, this was a pattern. This was a regular practice in his life. He often did this. Not occasionally. He often did this. He, it, it's like there was this inner compulsion in him, this self-awareness that realized this need in his soul. See, this, this is what I long for in my life, and I know you long for as well. In, in, in the same way that we feel this compulsion to look at our phone all the time, in the same way we feel that compulsion, wouldn't it be cool to have this same compulsion 
to get along with Jesus. This inner sense, this internal gauge where we just realize, I'm feeling really stressed right now. I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. I'm going to be a horrible parent tonight. I can just feel it. Um, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give in to some temptation. It's just, my, my heart is not in a good place. And I know I just need to get alone with Jesus. I need some time. I need some time with Jesus. See, this, this internal meter it is absolutely something we can cultivate, every one of us here. It is absolutely something we can cultivate, but here's the deal. We've got to be willing to look at how we've been responding to that internal meter up to now. <laughs> we gotta be willing, it's been there all along. The problem is how we've been responding to it. We have got to be willing to look at how we've been responding to that internal meter up to now. What is our usual, our instinctive response to stress? to feeling overwhelmed internally. What's our instinctive response? Well, often we look for some dopamine hit, some way to escape, to distract, to escape. A mindless app, a video game, some glasses of wine, a Netflix binge, some comfort food, porn, whatever our drug of choice is. See, that has been our pattern when our soul feels stress and pressure and overwhelm and all that. But here's the cool thing. Deeper than that desire, what we think is a desire for those things, deeper than that desire is a longing for God. It's because that's what we were created for. So deeper than all that desire is a longing for God. You just have to recognize it in that moment. You have to recognize it, we have to recognize it in that moment by paying attention to our internal meter and begin turning toward Jesus rather than just towards some temporary distraction, some relief, whatever. See, there is a soul longing in us that we need to start paying more attention to, which is cool. Um, so what did, you, what, what, what did Jesus, in his humanity, and fully human, right, fully divine, fully human also, so Jesus, in his humanity here, what did he do in those moments when he recognized his soul was feeling overwhelmed, his soul was feeling stressed, his soul was feeling heavy. Well, Luke tells us he withdrew. He often withdrew to, a lonely, to, lone, to lonely places. Jesus knew, notice, he knew that his soul needed something that could, it could not experience in the midst of ministry demands and crowds and human being, human need. He knew there was something in his soul that couldn't be met by those things. He needed to withdraw. That's the word Luke uses here. Jesus knew he needed to withdraw. He needed to remove himself from the activity and need and people. He needed to remove himself. So where did he withdraw? To where did he withdraw? Luke says he often withdrew to lonely places. This, this phrase, lonely place, it's a fascinating word. You're going to learn a little Greek word here. It's the word eremos. Eremos. It's used a lot in Jesus' ministry. It can also be translated wilderness or solitary place. So the Eremos, it speaks of a, of, a, of a quiet place where Jesus could be alone. Jesus needed solitude. He needed solitude. He needed some time alone with God. This was an intentional decision based upon what his soul needed. Without, this is really important, without Jesus choosing this, it would not have happened. Without Jesus choosing this, it would not have happened. There would always have been 
There were always more crowds. There were always more needs. There were always more demands, always more things that needed his attention. Just like in our lives, there is always more stuff to do. There are always more needs around us. There's always another episode to watch, unless it's over, and then we just have to look, show, you know, show hold. We have to look for another, episode, you know, another series or whatever. But there's always more things to watch. There's always more distractions, etc. Always. If we're going to tend to our soul the way our rabbi Jesus modeled it, we also have to regularly choose to withdraw, to remove ourselves from these things in order to be with God. It could be for five minutes, it could be for an hour, it could be for a whole day. The length of time is not the critical issue here. The critical issue is the frequent and intentional decision to temporarily withdraw, to remove ourselves from the demands and the distractions and the busyness of life for the sake of our soul so that we can be present to ourselves and present to God, so that we can actually experience connection to God. <clears throat> if, we, if you don't choose this for yourself, no one else will choose it for you. If we don't choose this for ourselves, no one else is going to do it for us. All of us are busy. All of us, we're at different stages of life. Acknowledge that. You know, some of you young children, some of you retired. All of us at different stages of life, but we're all busy. And depending on stage of life, it may be easier, it may be harder to, you know, to do some of this stuff. But here's the deal. We all need time alone with God. This is not about whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. This is not about your personality type. This is about your soul. This is about your soul. This is about what your soul needs and longs for. So if you're thinking, there's no way I can do this. My life is just too cat. There's no way I can do this. There's no way I can squeeze this into my schedule. What you're really saying is, my busy schedule is more important than my soul. My schedule, my busy schedule, and all the things I've said yes to, that's actually more important than my soul. Because we all, we all make time for what's important, don't we? I mean, isn't it interesting how our schedule frees up when we meet that special someone, right? I mean, when I met Raylene, I was very busy, but somehow I could just carve out two or three hours a day to be with her. Amazing. How did that work? I didn't sleep very much, but you know what I mean? We, we just carve out, we, we were able to free up time for, for, for things that are important. Isn't it interesting how our schedule just frees up when we experience chest pain and we have to go to the ER? We all make time for what is important to us. And what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying to us in his example and in his teaching, but he's saying to us an example here is that your soul is really, really important. Your soul is really, really important. At some level, your soul is more important than all the needs and the demands around you at home and at work. 
I'm not saying we don't meet those demands. I'm not saying we don't meet those needs. We just check out and go on a 40-day retreat and let our husband deal with it or what. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about that. What, what Jesus seems to be modeling is this idea that the only way to fully meet life's demands and needs is when our soul is in a healthy place. Right? I mean, the only way we can actually meet these demands and, and, and the busyness, of life, all that stuff, is when our soul is in a, in a healthy place. The longer we press the pedal to the metal and keep plowing through our busy lives, you know, running from commitment to commitment to commitment, et cetera, et cetera, the more we do that, the more vulnerable our soul becomes to anxiety, insecurity, discontent, temptation, angry outbursts, stupid decisions, and on and on. So this lonely place, the Eremos, this lonely place played a significant role in Jesus' life. You'll see it throughout his life. Played a significant role. And it must in ours as well. It's got to. It's got to play a significant role in our lives as well. Jesus learned this lesson early on in his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, we read in, in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit, or Matthew chapter 3, I think it was at the end of that, and then in, into chapter, uh, it's chapter 4, right at the start of that. So he's, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? Um, um, to, to, into the Eremos, that's the word it's used, the wilderness, the solitary place. And he fasted for 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, the devil came to tempt him, Okay? Now, I have always thought, when I read this passage, I always thought that this was a place of incredible vulnerability for Jesus. I mean, man, he's alone, he's fasted for 40 days, he's really, really hungry, and so Satan comes up to tempt him at when he's most vulnerable. I don't think that's what's happening at all. Jesus had just spent 40 days in a solitary place with God. He was not in a place of weakness. He was in a place of incredible strength. Satan didn't have a chance. Jesus' soul was like powerhouse level because of solitude. Satan didn't have a chance again. Jesus was ready. He was ready for anything Satan could throw his way because he had spent time alone with God. He had spent time seeking God and hearing from God and experiencing God. See, that's what the Eremos, that's what this lonely place, this experience of solitude with God can do for us. It can give us spiritual strength. It can restore our soul. There's another example. I didn't have time to go into it, but there's another example in Mark where Jesus is, he gets up early to go pray and people are needing him. And he, he says, you know, and he's, the disciples try to find him and they find him. Say, Everyone's wanting you. And Jesus says, no, I got to go somewhere else. We got to go to other villages. It's like in, in the Aramos, he heard from God. He knew what the next step was. He didn't just assume, oh, people are in need, so I better go do that. He was in the Aramos. He got direction from God. So we get spiritual strength. We get, we are, we get restored, our, our soul gets restored. It, we get a new perspective. It can give us creative ideas. The Aramos is an amazing place to get creative ideas. I mean, some of my best ideas happen when I'm not listening to any music, I'm not listening to radio or anything, and my mind is just present to the Lord and, and to a particular situation. It's powerful. Solitude is this wonderful place 
where we can connect afresh to the God of the universe and be reminded of who he is and who we are in him. We need this. We need this. But it is not always easy to experience this, right? Uh, this solitude. Even Jesus struggled at times to, make, to, be, to be able to make this happen in his life. So there's a powerful passage in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus hears word that his, his um, uh, colleague, his cousin and colleague in ministry, uh, John the Baptist, had been brutally killed by King Herod for speaking the truth. Right when he gets this horrible news, what does Jesus instinctively do? Verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. In his grief, and I'm wondering if perhaps also just this maybe fear about the death that's awaiting him in the near future, he knows it's coming. Jesus knows his soul needs time alone with God. Needs to get alone with his heavenly father. So he does, right? Gets in a boat, withdraws to a solitary place, but knows what happens. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. He is trying to get away for some much needed soul care, but he can't. The people find him, right? He's getting on his boat. He goes to this place, and, and the people have run around there. They found him, just like your three-year-old will inevitably find you and start knocking on the locked bathroom door when you're having solitude, guaranteed. So how does Jesus respond when his boat comes to shore and he's looking for solitude and there are hundreds of people waiting for him? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. It's an amazing savior. He's trying to get away. He's grieving. He's trying to get away from some solitude, but he can't. But instead of becoming resentful, which is easy for us to do, right? We can become resentful. Instead of becoming resentful, he has compassion on the people. He heals their sick. And then he actually does the miracle of feeding the 5,000, which is an amazing miracle. Five loaves of bread, two fish, feeds 5,000 people. But notice what happens right after the miracle. All these people, all this, right after the miracle's done, everyone's fed. Look at what happens. Look at the first word, verse 22. Immediately. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He eventually got some solitude. It wasn't when he initially needed it, and that was okay. He did what he had to do in that moment, ministered to people, had compassion, all that, but he knew he still needed it. And it eventually happened. He finally made time for it after ministering to all those people. And I love this. He sends the disciples away. Hey, I love you guys, but I really don't want to be around you right now. See ya. Get in a boat. Go. You know, I need some time alone, so get out of here. The story is so powerful because it's real life. Making time to be alone with God sometimes gets squeezed out by immediate needs and demands and, and all of that. But... If we're intentional about it, just like he was, if we're, we're going to do this, it may take four days to get this, but we're going to do this. If we're intentional about it, we can, we can find time to make it happen. We can find time to make it happen. It won't be easy. 
It will require us to carve out time out of our schedules. It will, require, carve, it will require us probably to disappoint some people. I'm sorry, I'm not available right now. Like Jesus sent the disciples away. They were like, oh, come on. No, I, I got to be alone. You know, we may disappoint people when we're pursuing solitude. That's reality. But we don't want to live for what everyone else needs all the time, right? We, we need to care for our soul. So it's going to require us to carve out time out of our schedules, send the, send, send the kids off in a boat. Wouldn't that be great if we could do that? Um, I remember when our kids were young, Sunday afternoon was family quiet time. They had to go find something to read, something to do, and it just gave much-needed kind of breathing room and space and quiet for Raylene and me. Right? Where do you need to intentionally carve out some time to be alone with Jesus. Where can that happen in your schedule? There is no formula for this. There's no formula. Some of you are morning people, and it works best for you to get up 15 or 30 minutes early. Go to bed 15 or 30 minutes earlier helps. But, it, you know, just that may, you just got to do it in the morning. Totally get it. That's kind of my wiring. And you just get up early, get a cup of coffee, go to a quiet room where you can be alone with God. That's awesome. Others of you are not morning people. And you're tired of comparing yourself to morning people and feeling guilty about not being as spiritual as them or whatever. You've tried to make time in the morning, you know, for God. It's just a disaster. You fall asleep or whatever. You can't focus. So maybe for you, time alone with God happens before you go to bed. Or maybe it's over the lunch hour. Or, or maybe before you head home or on your way home, you just stop at a park and you spend some time with Jesus. Again, there is no formula. There's no formula. Sometimes Jesus got alone with God in the morning. Sometimes it was at night. We just saw both of those. Do what works for you. Be creative, but be intentional. And do not, do not compare yourself to your friend who is a different stage of life or a different personality than you, and they have way more free time than you do. Don't compare yourself. It is not about quantity. It's about consistently making time to be alone with Jesus. Now, let me right-size some expectations here. Um, because we are so used to busyness and pay, you know, this constant pace and phones and distraction, all that stuff. Because we're so used to hurry and distraction, the first few times you do this, you, if you have not done this much, the first two times you do it, you're envisioning, oh, this is going to be so awesome time with God. Let me just kind of warn you, the first few times will probably not be peaceful. Your mind will be racing You'll be, everything within us will be wanting to reach for that dopamine rush, right? And check our phone. It will, there will this, just this, this kind of anxious, or I mean, this is just normal. Because honestly, this is detox. We have to detox from the way we're living our lives. And that may involve some withdrawal symptoms. That's exactly what that is. When we finally slow down, we start to fid get fidgety and nervous and all that. That's just withdrawal. Seriously. Um, so we're going to talk more specifically next week about some practices that will help in that regard. I'm super excited about that message. Um, but my point is, for many of us, solitude, being alone with God, it may initially feel a bit unsettling, which again is an indicator of how much we need it, how much we need this, um, how desperately our soul needs it. But keep at it. Keep at it. You got to push through. This is a practice. Remember, we're practicing. Push through those initial things. 
As I mentioned last week, so for each or for most of the messages in this series, we have a specific practice that we want to invite you to engage in this coming week. Again, we learn through practice, not from hearing a sermon. <clears throat> so last week, I won't have you raise your hand for a few, you tried last week's, but I hope you did. Last week's practice and this week's practice go hand in hand beautifully. So if you missed last week, I encourage you, you can pick up a handout of the practice. You can listen to the message, which I encourage you to do. Um, we also have created a video experience called Present Practice, where you can actually be led through each week's practice real time. I'm super excited about this. So we guide you um, through that week's practice real time. You just pull up the video. And uh, it's kind of a cool deal. You can find that on our social media platforms like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. Okay, so last week's practice focused on learning how to be present in the moment. How to be present to ourselves in the here and now. This is huge. I talked a lot less. I'm not going to talk about it again, but this is so huge. Because in the midst of all the distraction and the busyness of life, we actually lose our ability to be present in the moment. We lose our ability to actually focus on something in the present moment because we're continually, part, continuous partial attention we talked about. We're continually looking for the next thing to come that's more important to come along. So we need to learn, relearn how to actually focus, how to actually be present in the, 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 the moment. So cultivating, cultivating that. We talked about that and last week's practice was focused on being present in the moment. And that provides a wonderful gateway into the practice we're going to be doing this week, being present to God, being present to God. The goal of solitude, again, is to be alone with Jesus, to be present to ourselves, but more importantly than to be present to him, to enjoy him. It's a time to quiet our souls and be with Jesus. Now, please hear me. This is not about praying through a list or doing a devotional time. If that's what you're hearing, I'm not communicating clearly or something. That's not what I'm talking about. Those things are important in their place, absolutely. But this is not as much about doing. Oh, I got time alone with God, so I'm going to read the one-year Bible. I'm going to pray through this list. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay, there's a place for that. Solitude provides a context for that, but, but if that's all it is, it's not really solitude the way Jesus, I think, is experiencing it. What we're talking about here, it's as much about being as it is doing. It's, it's getting alone in a quiet, solitary place so that we can be present to God, to be present to him without any other agenda except him. So and when we're alone with him, then we can cultivate this in awareness of his presence. And in that place, in that relationship, have our souls renewed and, and restored. Okay, so we're going to take a few minutes and actually practice this together so we can get a feel for how to be present to God. This includes anyone watching online, uh, listening to our podcast. If, if you're able to stop doing what you're doing and enter in, I encourage you to do that. Now, for all of us here, don't feel any pressure. If you're like, this is new to me, I don't know this Jesus. Like, just don't feel any pressure to do this. If you're not comfortable, it's totally okay. You can just sit there and kind of do the same thing, but sort of not. Okay, uh, but you can just sit there. Um, but we're really learning together. So let's close our eyes and just be quiet. Just quiet our heart. And before we actually practice this, I want us to take a moment. I want you to just to think about, this is really practical. Think about what it would look like to carve out intentional time this week 
to be with Jesus. If that's not happening in your life, where can you carve out time to be with him? Be specific. Where in your schedule could you find some consistent time to be alone with him? Maybe ask the Lord to help you right now. And I just ask the Lord to kind of help you, help you have the courage to make the time for this. Okay, so now I want to lead us in a practice that can help us be present to the Lord when we do make time to be alone with him. Don't worry if this exercise doesn't really connect with you. This is just one way to do it. It's okay. The goal is to be present to God. If this doesn't work for you, there are other ways. But this is a way I found helpful to do this. As I mentioned a moment ago, this practice fits really well right after the other practice from last week, being present to ourselves, being present to God. Okay, so our eyes are closed here. And we're going to use, again, we've done this the last few weeks, um, and I continue to do this. We're going to use our God-given gift of imagination to practice being present to Jesus. God has given us our imagination as a way to experience biblical truth through images and pictures using both sides of our brain, okay? So when the Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus or to behold his glory, we can use our imagination to actually apply those scriptures. And in doing so, we can actually experience being present to the Lord in that moment, okay? So Jesus, I ask you to bring our minds and our hearts to rest right now. So imagine that you are in a very peaceful place. It could be a literal place that you know, a place where you grew up, you go alone, you know, off alone, or it could be a place that just is peaceful in your mind, a grove of trees, a quiet spot by a lake or near an ocean or, or whatever. So just imagine you're in this peaceful place. And in that place, I want you to imagine just you're sitting on a bench. You're not doing anything. You're just really sitting on a bench. And take a few moments and just enjoy the peace that is all around you in this place. Now imagine Jesus entering this place. You were alone before, but now imagine Jesus entering this place and standing before you with love in his heart towards you. He wants to be here with you and is so glad you're together. So just feel his delight and his love for you. Now imagine him coming near to you and sitting beside you on the bench. How does it feel to be near him?
So is there anything he wants to say to you or any way he wants to express his love for you? Just let him do that. Now just enjoy, enjoy being in his presence, enveloped in his love. Sit as long as you like right in this place with him. So Jesus, thank you that you want to be with us. Thank you that as your word says, you are always present to us. You're always loving us. Help us live more and more in an awareness of your loving presence with us. And I want to pray for each one of us as we think about our week to come that we would carve out space just to be alone with you, to enjoy you. Okay, so let me just have your attention up here. If you didn't experience anything, it's totally fine. Don't beat yourself up. Again, this works for some people. It's helpful. Other people, it's not. It's totally okay. We're wired differently. If that didn't practice for you, work for you, then don't be discouraged about it. Just make time to be alone with Jesus and let him just ex- experience, enjoy him in, in, that, in that time. Let him lead you in that. So, so I, I want to continue really to cultivate this atmosphere of being present to the Lord as we transition into this time of worship. So feel free, if you want, you can remain seated. If you want to just continue to sit in the Lord's presence, if you want to stand and sing, that's great. If you want to kneel at the altar, there's space to do that. If you want to go receive prayer from someone, there's our prayer stations in the back. If you feel prompt or, or to pray for the Kids Hope um, um, students there, there's a place for you to do that. Or if you feel prompted, God's prompting you just to respond by giving and offering to him, you can do that in one of the giving boxes. We just want to continue to be in the Lord's presence in this place. He is so good. He wants to be with us. He is so worthy of our praise and our hearts. So let's continue.